and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the ancient world, classical education, and whatever we've been thinking about recently. My name is Thomas Magby. I'm joined as always by Mr. A.J. Hannenberg. What's up? And Mr. Graham Donaldson. What is up? And today, what <laughs> is that up, one up for fellow you. youth? Is that what they <laughs> What <laughs> up, fellow kids? What is up? Today we are going, we have an incredible guest and uh, we, I'm so excited for this guest. Um, the one, he, he's running a little bit late. I just he, can't wait for him to get here. Cannot wait for him to get here. Now it's going to be a little while, but I think we can kind of just talk amongst ourselves until our really important guest gets here. I've, I've been waiting for kind of a long time. I think I've been waiting for two acts. I forget how long this play is. Um, but he look, said he'd be here. He said he'd be here. And I, uh, I trust the guy. I've never met the guy. I don't think I've seen the guy. I don't remember anything about this play, but he's going to be here any minute now. That AJ, I think you are the one who booked this guest. I did book this guest, and Godot is notoriously yeah. a great guest once he finally shows up, but yeah. he has to show up first. So as has been so aptly telegraphed, today we're talking about Waiting for Godot, which is a play by Samuel Barclay Beckett. And it is, you know, I, I mean, I would call it a classic. It's a relatively recent classic, right? It's so During the most recent round of updates to Great Books of the Western World, Waiting for Godot got put in. Ooh, it got squeezed in, yeah, huh? So, so I'm even like... In the You're canon. Super yeah, yes. It's nice. a super classical, right? Way to go. Yeah. All right. Good job, me. So we were talking about Waiting for Godot, and it is... Whew, I don't even know how to... Let, let's start with Samuel Beckett. We'll okay. start with the author, and we'll talk a little bit about him, and then we will eventually talk about this play. Now, ideally, I would have done this in a different order, because I'm also reading... <laughs> So I like you opening with, if I'd really planned this out. If I'd had my druthers, if yeah, I had figured uh, things out, I would have done Genghis Khan. Who has your Long druthers? ago. <laughs> sure, that, but, that, that's the truth. But what, it, what this should be is we should do Ulysses by James Joyce oh, first, oh, and why? then why would Samuel Barclay Beckett's. Because... For a purpose? Because these two guys knew each other. Oh, uh, okay. And Samuel Barclay Beckett's whole career is almost in response to Joyce, which is important. Does he usually go by his middle name like that? I've only ever heard him Samuel Beckett. I think it just sounds nice. It's a great middle name. It's got name. the two syllables, Samuel Barkley Beckett. No, I get it. I just, I've never heard his middle name before. Good old SBB. SBB, that's right. Okay, so I, yeah, ideally we would talk about Ulysses by James Joyce first to give sort of a groundwork for this. So it's going to be backwards, folks. I'm sorry, you're going to see the reaction before you see the Which reagent. Fits, it fits with the genre that they're writing in, so I think this probably, the order kind of doesn't matter, right? Like the, I mean, not for Beckett, no. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't really matter. I mean, kind of. I guess it kind of matters. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna do it. So, I guess I don't I don't know why I said all that. Just this isn't ideal. <laughs> why, why would you open? <laughs> but maybe that? maybe that's just right in line with what the play is, Thanks right? For it just to this non-ideal episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, You're you paid great. to be here. Yeah, that's right. Well, wait a minute. So Samuel Barkley Beckett was born, lived from 1906 to 1989, which you know is fairly recent. He's considered one of the last modernist writers. And he was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature for his writing, which uh, had sort of, you know, brought in new forms for the novel and drama and talked about destitution of modern man, right? So he was born in Dublin and he was born to a quantity surveyor, which I'm not quite sure where that what that is. Like and you have a pile like, of stuff? He needs to know how much it is. This guy will tell you. Yeah, that's uh, that's eight things. Yeah, you know when you go to the the like the fair and they have the thing of jelly beans. Can I read? And this? They're like, how he many? just nails it. He nails it every time. Quantity surveyors estimate and control costs for large construction projects. Oh, oh, that's way Sorry, less fun. I'm so that's I'm, that's much lamer, but that's what Google said. Well, he's just pointing. He he does quantities, but it's always like nails and boards and uh -huh. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay, so he was born to a quantity surveyor in a noose. He had a large house with a tennis court. Uh, the, the place was built by his dad. 
he went to Portora Royal School in Enniskillen, uh, which is the place that Oscar Wilde also went. Cool. So cranking out some big names there, this little school, little school. Sure. He then went to Trinity College in 1923, where he studied, studied modern literature. He was great at sports, and he is, as far as I know, still the only Nobel Literature Laureate to have played first-class cricket. Mm. You know, varsity cricket player. Sure. Uh, he's at Trinity. He studied French, English, and Italian. Languages guy. So after graduating with a bachelor's, he became an English lecturer in a school in Paris where he met James Joyce. Uh, The two hit it off and developed a relationship, and he actually helped James finish his work, uh, Finnegan's Wake, or at least work on the work. Uh, In 1930, he went back to Trinity and presented a paper on a poet who founded the movement, Concentrism. Now, do you guys know about concentrism? I do not. Can you tell me anything about it? Nope. That makes sense because he made it up. Oh, great. Um, The poet was not a real poet. Concentrism isn't a real thing. It was a parody. Is this true? He just made this whole thing up. He's made the whole thing up. Crazy. And apparently, it was kind of... it's murky as to what happened, but it seems like people got mad about it. Yeah, and definitely he's would. like, "Look, I wasn't trying to fool anybody. <laughs> it's just anyway." It's he messed up though, right? To make up the whole thing, like he makes them all look like idiots for like, "Oh, yeah, I really like your paper." And so he resigned the next year. Yes, exactly. Um, and his academic career was at an end. And he published a poem called "Gnome," comm- commemorating the end of his academic career. You guys ready for it? Yes. Uh, Spend the years of learning squandering courage for the years of wandering. Through a world politely turning from the loutishness of learning. Okay. So he's not... <laughs> not too happy. Not too happy about the whole leaving Dang. academia thing. Yeah. He went to Europe. He spent some time in London. He published some stuff about Proust. Proust? I never. I can never get Proust. that one right. Proust. Proust? Proust? No. <laughs> Proust. You guys Proust. are unhelpful. Sorry. Uh, in 1932, he wrote his first novel, uh, Dream of Affair to Middling Women. But after many rejections, he abandoned it. Um, by middling women or by... Uh... <laughs> dream of a fair... Dream of a fair, not dream of oh, a fair. Oh, oh, dream oh, of oh, a fair sorry, to I'm middling so women. Not like he's like, man, I really want an affair with a middling woman. I'd really love to get the average. Yeah, sorry about that. That's my enunciation problem. Uh, he, after many rejections, which is funnier if he's actually hoping for an affair with yeah, a middling yeah. woman. It has been rejected many times. Yeah. Uh, he abandoned it. And okay, it, but it did serve as a source for some of his early poems, as well as his first full-length short story collection, which was entitled More Pricks Than Kicks. Uh, he published plenty of essays and reviews, and in 1935, he published a book of poetry called Echoes, Bones, and Other Precipitates. In 36, he published Murphy, which is a book. Um, the next year he, sorry, that year, the year he published his book, he traveled a bunch, including through Germany, where he was like, wow. Nazism sucks. Um, and then he returned in 1937, had a falling out with his mother, and decided to permanently settle in Paris. Now, he stayed in 37? there. Huh? In 37? In 37. Oh, not bad. Yeah, not a great time. Yeah, so he was there when war broke out in right. 39, and he said he preferred France at war to Ireland at peace. <laughs> Which... It's a good line. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, in 1938, he was stabbed in the chest and nearly killed when... <laughs> one of my favorite stories... He refused the solicitations of a notorious pimp named, can you guess the pimp's name? No, I don't want to guess this. Prudent. Okay. The dude's name is Prudent? Prudent. (laughs) The pimp's name is Prudent? Prudent the pimp. (laughs) Dang. The dude doesn't squander his money, I guess. That guy uh, puts his money in the right places. Sure. Um, At a hearing about the attack, Beckett asked Prudent the pimp why he had stabbed him, and Prudent said, je ne sais pas, monsieur, je m'excuse, which means, I don't know, man, I'm sorry. (laughs) 
And so, so Beckett dropped the charges partially because he just didn't want any more hubbub and partially because he's like, this guy's kind of likable and well-mannered, like Prudent the Pimp. Kind of a cool guy. Okay. Uh, so the Nazis occupied France in 1940, and he joined the resistance. Uh, he was nearly caught several times. And in 42, his unit was betrayed, and he fled with his girlfriend to a, the small village of Roussillon. He, I'm, I know I'm just butchering that pronunciation. Roussillon, Roussillon, something like that. He stored armaments in his backyard, in Good. his house, and he helped to sabotage a bunch of the German army, and he was awarded the Croix de Guerre and the Médaille de, de Résistance. Um, he la- would later call it all Boy Scout stuff. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of really like this he's guy. Great. He's lived yeah. a pretty whoop, he's lived a pretty storied life. Yes. Um, in 1945, he returned. Oh, sorry. He continued his uh, his to finish. Sorry, he continued work on his his book named Watt. He finished that in 45. He published it in 53. And after the war, he returned to France in 46, where he managed the stores of a Red Cross hospital. Oh, okay. Um. In 45, he returned to Dublin and had a revelation about his work. Uh, to quote, I realized that Joyce had gone as far as one could go in the direction of knowing more, being in control of one's material. He was always adding to it. You only have to look at his proofs to see that. I realized that my own way was in impoverishment, in lack of knowledge, and in taking away, in subtracting rather than adding. So he, like I said, was was a good friend of Joyce's. And as you will find out in my Joyce episode that's coming up, Joyce is a maximalist. His books are packed, like impossibly packed, to the point where if you really want to study Ulysses, you're going to need enough time to spend eight years at school just for that book. To understand the references that are in it? Yes, to, to understand the references and, and then through the references to have even a prayer of understanding the book itself. It is so complex Ugh. and so convoluted. Would I'm you, excited you, to do the episode. It? Are you excited for that? No, okay, I'm not. Okay. Is it I'm not more convoluted and then like uh, Infinite Jest or uh, yes. what's the Yellow King? What's it called? The Yellow... Don't know. The, uh, what's his name? Oh, what's that guy's name? Yellow King? No, the guy that did Infinite Jest. So David Foster Wallace. Foster Wallace. Yeah, yeah. It, I, absolutely. What's that poem that I got cranky about that uh, Thomas did an episode on? Ezra Pound? Or, no, are you, are you talking about T.S. Eliot? Yeah. The, uh, the Wasteland. Wasteland, yeah. Um, it's worse. Like okay. way, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. way, way, way Of course way worse. it's worse because the Wasteland's amazing. Yeah. Hey, let's have that debate again. Sure. If you if you have any distaste for the wasteland, you will want to claw your eyes out while reading <laughs> Joyce. So look forward to that episode. It's going to be a fun one. My plan, and I'm not sure if this is actually going to pan out, but my plan is to eventually like just randomly select a page mm-hmm. and try to understand it. <laughs> try to understand anything that's happening in the page. So can I mean, you, do you even think say- I would like Ulysses then if I like El- Elliot? If you had, so this is my theory. If you had 15 years to study it, you may eventually like it. Okay. If you want to sit down and read it. You're going to want to die. Okay, great. <laughs> I, it's another one of those things where I can't, like, I feel like the the guy who's at the parade where the emperor's not wearing any clothes mm-hmm. and everyone else can see the clothes. They don't see the clothes. They just pretend they do. Yeah, but I, I think there might actually be clothes oh, okay. is the thing. So, so, so it's a pretty big steam achievement if you understand it. <laughs> yes, it's a big steam achievement. I, I just can't, I, I can see the mastery and the genius behind it, I still hate it. So I re- think that's it. You're reading it in a group, correct? Yeah, I'm does reading every- it. A, that's the only way to get through does it. Does everyone else see the mastery and achievement of it also, or are they? do they all think it's crazy? Well, we've lost probably over half the group. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm and surprised then we still have a group. It's, it's, it's rough. Yeah. And and the, our meetings are notoriously, I didn't get it. Did anybody else get it? Nope. <laughs> Moving on. 
or pull up Spark Notes? Yeah, well, that's some of them have been reading along with the summaries. Sure. And there's actually a companion book oh. that you can read okay. that is as long as a normal novel and more convoluted. Like it is, it is as as dense as a textbook in and of itself, and I can have a I have a hard time understanding the, textbook, the companion right. novel. Yeah, that sounds miserable. Okay, so look forward to that. That episode's right. coming up. So Great. he, in response to feeling like he was always going to be in Joyce's shadow, was like, "I gotta go the opposite way because I'm not gonna out Joyce Joyce. Right. Right. I have to do something else." And so he started pulling things out and dealt with impotence and inability and ignorance and waste and emptiness and all of those things that kind of come along with minimalism, right? So he's just taking stuff out. Um, He wrote a book called Crap's Last Tape. And while listening to the tape that he made earlier in his life, Crap hears his younger self say, clear to me at last that the dark I have always struggled to keep under is in reality my most, at which point, Crap fast forwards the tape before the audience can hear the complete revelation. So it's like this big, this big, oh, he's going to tell you what uh-huh. the big important thing is. And then uh, he fast forwards the tape and the audience never gets to know. He finished his fourth novel, and which wasn't published until 19, 1970. He wrote most of his new stuff after this big revelation about Joyce in French because it was easier to do it in quotes without style because <laughs> he well i mean he was a native english right, speaker yes. and speaker and so if he wrote in english with that comes all of the knowledge of idiom yes. and all that stuff that can you know you want to make it stylistically yes. french is a second language he's like well i'm you know maybe not as good as a native speaker which means less stylistically polished right. um he published a bunch of new novels and his most famous play and notoriously his most important work Waiting for Godot, which is what we're talking about today, and it was published in 1953. Uh, at one point, this is another fun little tidbit. You guys remember Andre the Giant? Yep. So he became part of a, a group of people who were driving kids to school, and he drove Andre the Giant to school for a long That's time. Awesome. And they totally hit it off really? and chatted it up. They, lo- they both loved sports, and oh, so they wow. talked almost exclusively about cricket. And That's great. That's kind of fun. Uh, he translated all his own works into English himself. Oh. So isn't that kind of weird where he wrote it in French and then had to retranslate it into his native English, language? Right. Very bizarre. He wrote a bunch of other full-length plays, Endgame, Crap's Last Tape, Happy Days, and the aptly named Play. Yes. Uh, and he got the International Publishers Formenter Prize uh, in recognition for some of those. Um, he married his longtime girlfriend in 1961. The one that he escaped France. With the one that he saying? escaped with yeah. in France. And then in... In 53, I think, he started an affair with a woman named Barbara Bray, who was a script editor, and I I guess he continued that pretty much until Barbara died. Not great. Even as he continued his relationship with his wife. So in 69, he won the Nobel Prize. His wife called it a catastrophe. She knew he would always be saddled with fame. Um, They both died in the same year, 1989. He died from emphysema and maybe Parkinson's. They were buried together, and they share a gravestone, and he, he directed it be any color, uh, so long as it's gray. So it's a very basic, straightforward gravestone. Yes. Um, okay, let me give you the basic layout of this play. Here's the plot. Good, because I know nothing about this play. Nothing happens. Nothing happens, so you know everything about the play. You know everything about the play. It's basically the Seinfeld of plays. Yes. It's about nothing. Nothing happens. These two guys are waiting near a tree for a guy named Godot. Yep. They want to leave. They don't leave. They consider hanging themselves. They Jeez, don't. That sounds they, like something. They just kind of like throw it out there. They like, just, they're just, just, just an idea. There's talking. Yeah. And they, they have a lot of conversations about nothing. And then a guy named Pozo shows up with his slave named Lucky. What? And they hang out with Pozo for a little while. 
And then a boy comes and says that Godot is not showing up. That's act one. That's, yes. Act two. They talk. It's essentially the same thing. They yeah. talk some more. Pozo and Lucky show back up. And then the boy comes and says, Godot's not coming. That's the play. Yep. Pulitzer Prize. No, uh, <laughs> Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He won the Pulitzer. Yeah. So there have been... And we can't even get a, what was it, an American Medal of Freedom for this podcast? What, do what we was want? it? The Foreigners <laughs> Freedoms Fighters of Fun? Hooray, hooray for Foreigners. Hooray for Foreigners. Yeah, that's what it was. You did get one, though. I did get we, one. We Thank you a, to that listener, listener that, that made a PDF of Hooray for Foreigners and emailed it to us. Yeah, I, I immediately printed it off and then presented it to Donaldson in the hall. <laughs> it's, it's hanging up <laughs> in, my, could see my, uh, <laughs> in my closet of fun things in my classroom. It's great. And was there Comic Sans on it, it too? It was Comic yeah. Sans. Oh, yeah, it was perfect. Okay. So the thing about this play is that it's, I mean, it's about nothing, which is hard to pull off. And still you are kind of glued to your seat. It is actually a very enjoyable read. I, I read it and was thinking about doing this episode a long time ago, but I didn't really know how to pull it off because really that's nothing not happens. much of a plot. Yes. And it resists almost all efforts to draw meaning from it. Yes. I mean, there have been many, many different ideas. So, and, and Beckett himself has given plenty of cryptic clues about what it means, uh, he has said, when somebody asked him about Pozo, this character, he said, everything he knew about Pozo was in the text. If he had known more, he would have put it in the play. That's, everything he knows is in there. Okay. There's no more to, no more to find. Great. Um, and he said that that would... How does Pozo have a was, slave? Huh? What era is this? You if he had known, he would have put it in. Hmm. Is there... Yeah, I don't think there's a time There's period. not a time. Yeah. Nope. And he said that's true of the other characters. Like, if you knew more, it would be in there. I don't know. I don't know if it specifies this. It's like a flat wasteland with like a tree. Like it, it, all it says is like a country road and there's a tree. That's yeah. it. So like it, it even, there's no place in it. Uh, it. It doesn't say it takes place in Russia or it takes place in the United States. It's just a place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, people have said it's maybe Irish because they have Irish accents sometimes, but not, I'm not even sure that's a stipulation. Right. And there are, again, people have tried to get meaning out of this. For example, the name Godot. They want to say it's God. They right? want to say it's God. He said it's not. It's not meant to be God. Yeah. Uh, he wished he had named him something else. If he had meant God, he would have said God. It's not God. Sure. It's just a guy named Godot. Uh, there's other possible meanings. It could be an allegory for a cold war or the French resistance with the Germans. Uh, is that so Godot is like the word for shoe, I think, and it's like a soldier's boot. To, and yeah, so then you kind like of that. like, okay, what does the soldier's boot mean? It means one of these countries potentially. But I think Beckett doesn't like that interpretation. He does either. not. Yeah. Um, there is a Freudian interpretation where Gogo, one of the characters, is the ego and Didi, Vladimir. It's a backwards id repeated. So id id. Uh -huh. And so he's a subversion of the rational, which to me sounds like, I don't know. Crazy talk. Crazy talk. And then Pozo and Lucky are just reiterations of the two same characters. Uh -huh. There's a Jungian version uh -huh. where it's the four aspects of the soul, the ego, uh, the shadow, which is Lucky, the persona, and the animus. Uh, ego is Pozo. Estragon is the estrogen mm. or something. Uh -huh. And then anyway, that's not a good one either. There's the existential version, which this becomes the theater of the absurd, right? Yes. It's kind of like absurdism. Yes. And I think this is maybe the best. It means nothing. Best I mean, guess that the, yeah. is that man is confronted with his inability to find meaning yes. in the universe, right? So it's almost absurdism. Yeah. Um, there's, there are Christian elements to it, but when Beckett was asked whether he was a Jew, a Christian, or an atheist, he replied, none of the three. <laughs> uh, it could be autobiographical, right? It's about his long walk to Roussillon when he was, and Suzanne were escaping okay. the, you know, the Nazis and sleeping in haystacks and stuff. 
it could be sexual mm-hmm. that these two men are an aging homosexual couple and they no longer engage sexually. And so they just, it's about homosexuality. And he dodged most of this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he is called to play, I guess, it's just symbiosis, right? People living together. Okay. And that's it. Do you have a, do you have a guess? I, I think that he has done a clever thing in allowing people to read meaning into something where he has intentionally taken it out. Yes. That's the more fascinating part is that like we can't, we as humans can't accept that something has no meaning. And so we'll try all different methods of getting something out of it and we'll get something out of it. That's not there. Yeah, we are trying to turn the key in something that's not a lock. Yes, We're like exactly. sticking it into pudding and, and just hoping that the door opens. Yes. Right? So technical analysis on uh, on stocks. This is right. Yeah, it's, it's meaningless. <laughs> it's a, it's a rising meaning. wedge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or the vomiting cat. What are some of the final ones? Get weird one. Or the dead cat. Is that what that one's called? I forget the dead cat is. bounce. That's what it is, yeah. So that's that's it. That's my introduction to the play. I'm not sure that I can do... And this is why I didn't do it as an episode before is I'm not yeah. sure I can do any better justice to it. You, yeah. you just kind of have to experience the play and say, yep, it was about nothing. Like they're, they're waiting for this fella named Godot. Yes. So what I thought we would do instead is let our listeners experience the play. Now, if you would rather let some other professional read it to you, then that's fine. Sure. You can go find it on, you know, audio blobs or whatever you listen to to find books it's probably on YouTube, right? It's probably on, no, actually finding a version on YouTube. There is, I think one, okay. but the one I really want to watch is Sir Patrick Stewart, Stewart and Ian McKellen yeah. and Ian McKellen. But yeah. you can only find like a three minute clip of that. And it's, it's hilarious. Even right. the three minute clip, but I can't find an actual videotaped version of it anywhere. Give me some time. I'll, I'll, if you find it, I'll I'd be happy. Work. Okay. Uh, but I can't find it. And so there are okay versions out there on the interverse that you can, you can find and watch. I'm sure someone has done a dramatic reading of this somewhere, but oh wait, can we even read this? Is it copyrighted work? Uh, that's actually a great question. Uh, I'm not sure we can. Gonna read the whole thing. Well, I'm just going to read a section. Let the audience experience it and see. Read a section. If we're only reading a section and we're commenting on it, then that uh, falls under a fair use, I believe. So I think we should be fine. It's fine. It gets taken down. It gets taken well, down. Well, I mean, what? How much time have we got left? Uh, Forty minutes. So 40 minutes of play, that sounds illegal. It's not the entire thing. Uh, you actually want me to do this? Kind of, yeah. Uh, public domain. The first thing that I came under said reference is waiting for Godot in public domain. Um, oh, really? It's in public well, domain now? Extends 70 years from the date of the author's death. We're definitely not past We're that. Way not, yeah, not, definitely not. Um, how about we, can we read sections of it and talk about it? Again, that's where you get into fair use, where it's transformative of the original work which I know because of a thesis that happened last year. I'm sure I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. Okay, great. So, let's read so that's the plan. We'll read parts and then you guys have to think of things to talk about, which is going to be the hard part because it's about nothing. Nothing. Okay. So I have, I have copies of this here for you. There's your copy. Is this the entire play? It is. Okay. Here's your copy. Thank you. It's about 45 pages long. Now, how do you guys want to do the characters? Our two main characters are Estragon and Lucky. Obviously, or sorry, Estragon and Vladimir. Obviously, you two should be Estragon and uh, Vladimir. Okay, so you are going to read the stage, stage directions, directions yeah. and then when Pozo comes up, you'll be Pozo. Great. Cool. So who's going to be who? Who's going to be Vladimir? Who's going to be Estragon? I'll be Estragon. Okay, I'll be Didi. I just want to, so Estragon was Ian McKellen, and uh, Vladimir was Patrick Stewart. Yes. So you know. Okay, great. 
Are we just straight up from the beginning? Yep. Act one. Here we go. A country road, a tree. Evening. Estragon, sitting on a low mound, is trying to take off his boot. He pulls at it with both hands, panting. He gives up, exhausted, rests, tries again, as before. Enter Vladimir. Estragon giving up again. Nothing to be done. Vladimir advancing with short, stiff strides, legs wide apart. I'm beginning to come round to that opinion. All my life I've tried to put it from me, saying, Vladimir, be reasonable. You haven't tried everything. And I resume the struggle. He broods, musing on the struggle, turning to Estragon. So there you are again. Am I? I'm glad to see you back. I thought you were gone forever. Yeah, me too. Together again at last. We'll have to celebrate this, but how? Vladimir reflects. Get up till I embrace you. Estragon irritably. Not now, not now. Vladimir hurt coldly. May one inquire where his highness spent the night? In a ditch. I think I'm not going to read the... Yeah, the small ones. Yeah, you so I'm just going to read the stage directions themselves. So, so I will no longer tell you how a, to read your line. A ditch? Where? Uh, over there. Uh, and they, did, they didn't beat you? Beat me? Certainly they beat me. Oh, the same lot as usual? The same. I don't know. When I think of it, all these years... But for me, where would you be? You'd be nothing more than a little heap of bones at the present minute, no doubt about it. And what of it? It's too much for one man. On the other hand, what's the good of losing the heart now? That's what I say. We should have thought of it a million years ago, in the 90s. Ah, stop blathering and help me off with this bloody thing. Hand in hand from the top of the Eiffel Tower, among the first. We were respectable in those days. Now it's too late. They wouldn't even let us up. Estragon tears at his boot. What are you doing? Taking off my boot. Did that never happen to you? Boots must be taken off every day. I'm tired of telling you that. Why don't you listen to me? Help me. It hurts? Hurts? He wants to know if it hurts. Well, no one ever suffers but you. I don't count. I'd like to hear what you'd say if you had what I have. It hurts? Hurts. He wants to know if it hurts. You might button it all the same. True. He buttons his fly. <laughs> never neglect the little things in life. What do you expect? You always wait till the last moment. The last moment. He meditates. Hope deferred maketh thee, oh, the something sick. Who said that? Why don't you help me? Sometimes I feel it coming all the same. Then I go all queer. He takes off his hat, peers inside it, feels about inside it, shakes it, puts it on again. How shall I say? Relieved at the same time. He searches for the word. Appalled. Appalled! He takes off his hat again, peers inside it. Funny. He knocks on the crown as though to dislodge a foreign body, peers into it again, puts it on again. Nothing to be done. Estragon, with a supreme effort, succeeds in pulling off his boot. He peers inside it, feels about inside it, turns it upside down, shakes it, looks on the ground to see if anything has fallen out, finds nothing, feels inside it again, staring sightlessly before him. Well? Nothing. Show me. There's nothing to show. Try and put it on again. Estragon examining his foot. I'll air it for a bit. There's man all over for you, blaming on his boots the fault of his feet. He takes off his hat again, peers inside it, feels about inside it, knocks on the crown, blows into it, puts it on again. This is getting alarming. Silence. Vladimir deep in thought, Estragon pulling at his toes. One of the thieves was saved. It's a reasonable percentage. Go, go. What? what? Suppose we repented. Repented what? Oh, we wouldn't have to go into the details. Are being born? Vladimir breaks into a hearty <laughs> laugh, which he immediately stifles. His hand oh. pressed to uh, his pubis, his face contorted. One daren't even laugh anymore. Dreadful privation. Merely a smile. He smiles suddenly from ear to ear, keeps smiling, ceases as suddenly. It's not the same thing. Nothing to be done. 
Gogo. What is it? Did you ever read the Bible? The Bible? I must have taken a look at it. Do you remember the Gospels? I remember the maps of the Holy Land. Color they were, very pretty. The Dead Sea was pale blue. The very look of it made me thirsty. That's where we'll go, I used to say. That's where we'll go for our honeymoon. We'll swim, we'll be happy. You should have been a poet. Uh, I was. Estragon gestures toward his rags. Isn't that obvious? <laughs> where was I? How, how's your foot? Swelling visibly. <laughs> ah, yes. The two thieves. Uh, do you remember the story? No. Or shall I tell it to you? No. It'll pass the time. Uh, two thieves crucified at the same time as our Savior. One. Our what? Our, our Savior. Two thieves. One is supposed to have been saved, and the other... He searches for the contrary of saved. Damned. Saved from what? Hell. I'm going. He does not move. And yet, how is it? Oh, this is not boring you, I hope. How is it that of the four evangelists, only one speaks of a thief being saved? The four of them were there, or thereabouts, and only one speaks of the thief being saved. Come on, Gogo, return the ball. Can't you? Once in a way? Estragon with exaggerated enthusiasm. I find this really most extraordinarily interesting. (laughs) One out of four. Of the other three, two don't mention any thieves at all, and the third says that both of them abused him. Who? What? What's this all about? Abused who? The savior. Why? Because... Because he wouldn't save them. From hell? Imbecile from death. I thought you said hell. From death, from death. Well, what of it? Then the two of them must have been damned. And why not? But one of the four says that one of the two was saved. Well, they don't agree and that's all there is to it. But all four were there and only one speaks of a thief being saved. Why believe him rather than the others? Who believes him? Everybody. It's the only version they know. People are bloody ignorant apes. <laughs> Estragon rises painfully, goes limping to extreme left, halts, gazes into distance, off with his hand, screening his eyes, turns, goes to extreme right, gazes into distance. Vladimir watches him, then goes and picks up the boot, peers into it, drops it hastily. Pah! He spits. Estragon moves to center, halts with his back to auditorium. Charming spot. He turns, advances to front, halts, facing auditorium. Inspiring prospects. He turns to Vladimir. Let's go. We can't. Why not? We're waiting for Godot. Ah. You sure it was here? What? That we were to wait. He said by the tree. (laughs) They look at the tree. Do you see any others? What is it? I don't know, a willow? Where are the leaves? Must be dead. (laughs) No more weeping. Or perhaps it's not the season. Looks uh, to me more like a bush. A shrub. A bush. What are you insinuating? That we've come to the wrong place? He should be here. He didn't say for sure he'd come. And if he doesn't come? We'll come back tomorrow. And then the day after, uh, uh, then the day after tomorrow? Possibly. And so on? The point is? Until he comes? You're merciless. We came here yesterday. <laughs> oh, there you're mistaken. What did we do yesterday? What did we do yesterday? Yes. Uh, why? <sighs> Nothing is certain when you're about. In my opinion, we were here. Vladimir looking around. You recognize the place? I didn't say that. Well... That makes no difference. All the same, that tree... Vladimir turns toward the auditorium. That bog... You're sure it was this evening? What? That we were to wait. He said Saturday, I think. You think. I must have made a note of it. He fumbles in his pocket, bursting with miscellaneous rubbish. But what Saturday? And, uh, and is it Saturday? Is it not rather Sunday? Or Monday? Friday? Vladimir looking wildly about him as though the date was inscribed in the landscape. It's not possible. Or Thursday? What do we do? If he came yesterday and we weren't here, you may be sure he won't come again today. But 
You say we were here yesterday. I may be mistaken. Let's stop talking for a minute. Do you mind? All right. Should we pause there? Yeah, that's a good pause. Yeah. All right. How do you feel so far? Graham is sick to his stomach. No, it's <laughs> so frustrating. Why is it frustrating? Because it's like, spit it out. <laughs> Get to the point. But there is no point. Is it just this, the whole play? The entire play. But uh, no, but well, it, no, there are we are getting to something with the gospel. And that's actually a really great theological question. Like, when you have the four, you have, now, um, he was wrong in saying, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were they at, all of them at the crucifixion? Uh, I guess they must have been. Um, he says it in the play. He says it in the play. But that's actually a really great point of like, okay, you've got, they're in, are the thieves in all four gospels? I didn't think the thieves were in all four gospels. Didn't you say it's only in one? Uh, no, he said, cause no, there's, there's three, two, I think it was like there's a, a gospel mentioned. where both thieves mock Jesus and there's a gospel where one thief, uh, says, save me Jesus. And, uh, Jesus says, you're going to be with me in paradise. So, I mean, but what's the, why bring that up? Like what's, that seems like, like they, this isn't completely about nothing. There are, there is some kind of. No, it's about nothing. What, you're what, playing right into his hands, Graham. What do you think it's about? I don't know yet. Okay. Um, I mean, it's about like. So far, it's two guys trying to figure out why they're there. Yes. And how is that not about, like, life? Figuring out why we're here. This is very existential, right? And like, this we, is why people call it, like, show an existential and, play. Yeah. But, we just show up and we don't know why we're here. And one of them seems... Uh, so Vladimir seems to be a lot more um, gregarious or emotive. Or the sort of, like, highs and lows. And Estragon seems a little bit more... Gogo's frustrated and he has foot problems. Oh, uh, Estragon is called Gogo. Yes. Oh. Gogo and Vladimir is Didi. Didi. Okay. Gotcha. Um, uh, yeah, so the... The funny uh, thing is this feels <laughs> like... Reading it, I was like, wow, this feels exactly like doing the podcast. <laughs> like... Oh, my God. Just sort of... None of this means anything. Just wait, wait for... Some, just a couple of guys arguing about stuff and waiting for something to happen. No, no. We, we, we talk about things that are important. Hopefully it's a little like more cogent. Like the thieves in the Gospels? That actually is pretty spot on. <laughs> like actually, we just did? Yeah, actually pretty great. <laughs> yeah, but it's... But it's <laughs> Do you want to change the name of the podcast? <laughs> waiting for classical stuff you should know. This is bleak if this is what our podcast is. So, so um... This just goes on, and then eventually a dude with a slave shows up. Yes, and then yeah, Poza will show up eventually. I mean, this gets Pose, they get they, they get like twice, angry right? with each other. Yeah, oh. we we will have fights. Uh crazy. Um. <laughs> this is it's so fun watching you try to decipher it. <laughs> Why did this win the the Pulitzer? Do they give reasons for that? Yeah, do they give reasons for winning Pulitzer Prizes? I have no idea. Or is it just because it's, like, super influential? Again, this I think your Emperor's New Clothes thing is spot on. That uh, um, You don't know if it's genius or not? I mean, the whole thing ends with, yes, let's go. They do not move. Well, you, spoilers, man. We're not finishing the whole thing. We're not, finish, we're not finishing the whole thing. It's also not a spoiler. It's the, yeah, um, I did tell them that nothing happens. Yes. Isn't that also the end of Act 1? Is it? I forget if it's the exact same, but they stand in the same place for two acts. Actually, is it the next day, Act Two? It's unclear because they could be coming. It's it's well, the tree has changed. Okay, because they have this whole thing of not knowing if they're in the right place or the right day. So oh, the tree changes. The in tree, act two? the tree has lost either grown some leaves or lost some leaves. I forget. 
in there are meaning to those leaves. This feels like the perfect AJ play because you hate when people read meaning into things. And Beckett's whole point is just to troll critics of like, please tell me what meaning is in my play that has no meaning. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, but also doesn't everyone want to think that Beckett has some kind of ulterior meaning to the whole thing that he's just not telling everyone? I mean, I think if he ever played his hand and was like, I just wanted to see what meaning people would read into it, the play would fall to pieces, right? He has to be cryptic about it and let people fun, like let people fill the void with whatever they want to. So then does it getting awards mean that he kind of like, again, it, it feels like a prank he's pulling on people because what is great about the play if we, we did our what is art episode forever ago and a part of what Tolstoy will say is good art is there being like a good moral message behind it. Well, there's no moral message here. Is it the art? Is it the dialogue is really witty or? I mean, some of the dialogue's pretty good. I don't know. I think it, maybe it's because it, it captures a certain feeling about human experience that we have a hard time otherwise capturing. Who else wrote a play about two guys waiting for another guy for the entire time? I mean, it's. You're saying it's so original. I was trying to think if there it's was original. One. It's original. Okay. It's different. Okay. I don't know. Graham don't like it. Uh, it's just like, I mean. It felt like it was, it was probably one of those things that felt cool in the 50s. It's still Because it was all like, you know, transgressive. It's still important. Why? Because I think, I think at least for the, I think that shift in the, from the meaning being centered, from there being a meaning in a play to there being no meaning in a play, I think is an important shift that at least is worth like noting as an important moment. Why is, what's important about the shift? That it's, as opposed to, I'm not saying this is good or bad, but if you just like look at, so like when we did the, um, um, the edit, the Oedipus plays forever ago, there are like messages in there about warnings of being too prideful. Mm -hmm. And so then all of theater history is just, you just change the meaning and change the characters until you get to this, which is an entire subversion of the genre to say there's actually nothing. It is an artistically rendered professionally produced play about nothing. Mm -hmm. That is, an important, it, it, it's too drastic a shift to even like comprehend. It's, but it, so is this the play equivalent of like a Jackson Pollock? Uh, maybe. Or that guy that stapled the, the toilet to the wall. But I always, the, like, the, no, because that, that seemed like Jackson Pollock seems to have like a more structured meaninglessness to it. Right. Like, like you still have to think about color and you still have to like do something with that. Whereas if you staple a toilet to a wall, like, there's no, like, this is still, you have a stage and you have characters and he still had to write words and they're apparently lucky he's got this big crazy speech that comes at the end or to halfway through that, you know, is like crazy talk, crazy babble. Like, you still have to do that. Mm -hmm. This isn't just like somebody standing at center stage and like farting or something, right? Which would be the equivalent of somebody stapling the toilet to the wall. And even like, then, there's still an art to it. And I think the art is so good because even in the stuff they're discussing, right? The... Yeah. The thief is either saved or not saved, and he's either there or not there. Mm -hmm. Like the question is, okay, if all four of them were there, but none of them mention him, everybody believes this one thing, but there seems to be an absence of meaning, mm -hmm. right? So even in this small thing that he brings up is trying to show, we're not sure what's happening. We're not sure where we're going. There's this absence of meaning. Okay. But then where, what can theater be after this? A rejection or an acceptance of it, right? You can, 
follow in the footsteps of Beckett and make more. But you can't just do another Waiting for Godot where you do another meaningless uh, play because everyone's going to be like, hack. <laughs> but if you do something that has, if you do a play that has, like, you know, if you, you know, if like Waiting for Godot is on Friday night and then it's run is done on Saturday night, they're doing like the sound of music, <laughs> right? Like yeah. you're just going back to the old form of, of, doing plays that have meanings and have morals and have characters and make you feel something. And like, what can be, what is this really, is, is this like the end of theater? What Samuel Beckett, is that what he's trying to do? I mean, maybe he's just capturing that. I don't know. That, You're right, um, I think it would feel weird to go after the war. It would be, it'd be weird to go watch the sound of music after this mm-hmm. because you're like, this captures a lot of the things that I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like a singing German family, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't capture my real lived experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my real, even. to use our term from before, yeah. <laughs> my real lived experience is yeah. a weird desire to find meaning, and this this feels like it. Uh, I'm trying to find. Did it? Did you say? I don't see it winning the Pulitzer Prize for. He, didn't he, he, he didn't just he, won it for. He being, won it. Oh, sorry. Okay, so I'm looking at the um, like Pulitzer prizes for like drama, and so this didn't win for that. So again, like you don't have to accept or like this play is another option. So you still, you know. After this, we still get Tennessee Williams and we still get Eugene mm. O'Neill. Like we still have great playwrights that are um, actually having stories. I, again, you you the Beckett can be attempting the death of theater. I don't know if he is, and I don't know if he says that, but you can still reject it and say, actually, the old ways were good, and what we need is Eugene O'Neill putting forth plays that are showing like generations of a family as opposed to just one story. Who's Eugene O'Neill, famous American playwright. Wow. Uh, so you guys have those? Yes, Long Day's <laughs> Journey and Tonight. The 1950s were like the like a golden age of um, American theater. But so uh, Long Day's Journey and Tonight as uh, an example of anyway, just to say, it's an important moment, but it's not like this kind of brings in maybe like the fracturing of uh, theater or the fracturing of entertainment into all different kinds of genre. Mm-hmm. Tell me you hate it. Um, I wouldn't, I, I would, I wouldn't want to sit through it. I don't know if I hate it. It's one of those things I where would, I like, think it's funny. It's one of those things where it's like when you, someone tells you the concept and when I read the first five pages of it, I'm like, I get it. Is that, do you think that's wrong? Is that me being like a, a simpleton? Like, I get it. I get what you're doing. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Isn't that great? Like you think, <laughs> you think, uh. You know, <laughs> everything's meaningless and you're going to write a play that, like, thumbs your nose at trying to, people trying to, like, you know, well, actually, AJ, live their actually, lives and port meaning into the world. Am and, I overstating? Again, I I think the point of the genre is to say there's no meaning here, but people are fascinated with finding the meaning. Do you agree with that characterization? Or do you think there's something more going on here? It's like the Oracle. Is it like of Delphi just to, like... Throwing symbols out yes. there and having people like sort attach of meaning to those attach symbols. meaning to those yep. things. I think it might be that. I think also, I mean, he's still, I mean, he's the anti-Joyce, right? Joyce's play would have been full of references and canon and meaning. And he is saying like, I want to toy with the things that nobody wants to talk about. Our impotence, our inability to find meaning, waste, senselessness, like violence that doesn't make any sense. Like they, they beat you in the, in the ditch. Why? What did you have to do with that, right? Mm-hmm. This, this poor character is right. just trying to like pull his boot off. And it's happened multiple times apparently. And apparently, yeah, it happens like every night. We don't know when we were here. And that's the other thing I find interesting is there are other characters, right? Mm-hmm. And as far as we know, 
Godot is a real guy because he sends a messenger at the end of each act, mm-hmm. right? So he is coming. We just don't know when. And there are people that will beat you in the in the ditch. We just don't know who. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I find it fascinating. And I actually think it's a really fun play to, wa- play to watch. Why is that? It's, I mean, it's deeply funny. And deeply funny in sort of yeah, a calling a uh, there is, way. There's funny. Like when they said, we've got this tree. And then he looks to the audience and says, and the bog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's that. And then even like, even the way that we're performing it, we're not capitalizing sure. on all the jokes that could be there. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of them mm-hmm. that I really wish, you know, I could see that whole Ian McKellen version. Yeah. All right. I mean, it's just, yes. Um, maybe it's... My the same critique that you had of Elliot, which is, um, this is the beginning of like so many plays after, or so many things afterwards that came after it, trying to capture that same feeling that were way worse, and are sort of like insufferable. So like when someone says like I too can be intelligent by being incomprehensible, I feel like there's this isn't as incomprehensible as, like, the sentences have meaning. Like it's not so incomprehensible that we don't have verbs in it. You know what I, you know what I mean? This is this is why I like this this play, and I'm not the hugest fan of the wasteland or even some of Joyce's stuff because what's happening there is they're like, I'll show my audience, and they will be so confused that they think it's deep, right? This is I'm going to show them what impotence, waste, and inability looks like, and they're not going to be okay with it, right? I, I kind of get the meaning behind this, or at least I get sort of the artistry behind it. The Wasteland seems like he could have just said what he wanted to say. He didn't have to make it difficult yeah. to capture. So do you think that this is more, and even just the way you're describing it right now, do you think that this is more a thing to experience as opposed to, like, study? Yeah, which is why th- this episode was hard to put together. Yeah. Like, what do we, when we study it, what do we find? Yeah, we find nothing. A lack or, of meaning. A lack right? of meaning, or we find us sort of like, you know, um, scrambling... We're trying to find a log to float on in the in Yeah, the we ocean. find ourselves trying to put meaning into it. Yes. But, and that's the interesting part yeah. about it is, <laughs> so then, so imagine you take, you know, 10 friends to go see the play, 10 of you walk away with completely different interpretations or understandings mm-hmm. of it, none of which are right. There's a great play. Though the play is, uh, you know, the friends who just saw Waiting for Godot and then you have a play of them sitting around at the bike like, having a You guys having, know we're acting that out. Right now. Right now. Oh, then this maybe isn't a great play. <laughs> we are we are doing the meta-narrative of <laughs> Waiting for Godot because we are trying, we are literally trying to find meaning oh, in yeah. something right. that is trying to dodge that. My foot hurts. <laughs> you want help with that? No, I'm okay. Do you want to read the Lucky monologue? Is that No, I looked at it. Oh, that's so crazy. Now I want Graham to read let's, it. Let's uh let's see. What's what's coming up right after this? How much we get time we got left? 14, 14 <laughs> minutes if you want to go to an hour. I lost it's on page thirty-four. Well, let's let's maybe jump to where Pozo comes in. Okay. Another character. Where's that? Well, let's see. Twenty? Um, no. He comes in on page 15. fourteen, I think. Wait, fourteen? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Really early. That's terrible. Okay, hold on. Let's read just a little bit before that and get get down to it. Just tell me where to start. I lost our place already. It doesn't matter where you start. That's the frankly, truth. So. Yeah, honestly. Okay, let's uh, let's start when they. Why don't you start with the ah yes I remember on fourteen. Well, because I want to do the one where they talk about the turnip. <laughs> <laughs> is that on? Where is that? 
Listener, okay, let's take it from listen on page 13. Okay. I'm trying to see where it is. Page 13. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Top third. Vladimir, go for it. Vladimir. Listen. I they hear listen, nothing. grotesquely rigid. I hear nothing. They listen. Estragon loses his balance, almost falls. He clutches the arm of Vladimir, who totters. They listen, huddled together. Nor I. Sighs of relief. They relax and separate. You gave me a fright. I thought it was he. Who? Godot. Just the wind in the reeds. I could have sworn I heard shouts. And why would he shout? At, at his horse. Silence. I'm hungry. Do you want a carrot? Is that all there is? I might have some turnips. Give me the carrot. Vladimir rummages in his pockets, takes out a turnip, and gives it to Estragon, <laughs> who takes a bite of it angrily. Ah, it's a turnip! <laughs> Oh, pardon, I, I could have sworn it was a carrot. He rummages again in his pockets, finds nothing but turnips. <laughs> All that's turnips. He rummages. You must have eaten the last. He rummages. Oh, wait, I have it. He brings out a carrot and gives it to Estragon. Uh, there, dear fellow. Estragon wipes the carrot on his sleeve and begins to eat it. Make it last. That's the end of them. Estragon chewing. I ask you a question. Huh? Did you reply? Uh, how's the carrot? Oh, it's a carrot. <laughs> so much the better. So much the better. What was it you wanted to know? I've forgotten. Estragon chews. That's what annoys me. He looks at the carrot appreciatively, dangles it between finger and thumb. I'll never forget this carrot. <laughs> he sucks the end of it meditatively. Ah, yes, yes, now I remember. Uh, well? Estragon, his mouth full, vacuously. We're not tied? I don't, I don't hear a word you're saying. So I think you would have talked with mm, carrot in your gotcha. mouth. Okay. <laughs> I don't hear a word you're saying. Estragon chews and swallows. I'm asking you if we're tied. Tied? Tied. How, how do you mean tied? Down. But to to whom? By by whom? To your man. To Godot? Tied to Godot? <laughs> what an idea. No question of it. For the moment. His name is Godot? I think so. Fancy that. Estragon raises what remains of the carrot by the stub of leaf, twirls it before his eyes. Funny. The more you eat, the worse it gets. With me, it's just the opposite. In other words? Well, I get used to the muck as I go along. Estragon, after pro pro prolonged reflection. Is that the opposite? A question of temperament. Of character. Nothing you can do about it. No use struggling. One is what one is. No use wriggling. The essential does not change. Nothing to be done. Estragon proffers the remains of the carrot to Vladimir. Like to finish it? A terrible cry close at hand. Estragon drops the carrot. They remain motion motionless. Then together make a sudden rush toward the wings. Estragon stops halfway, runs back, picks up the carrot, stuffs it in his pocket, runs to rejoin Vladimir, who is waiting for him, stops again, runs back, picks up his boot, runs to rejoin Vladimir, huddled together, shoulders hunched, cringing away from the menace, they wait. Enter, how do you say it? Pozo. Pozo and Lucky. Pozo drives Lucky by means of a rope passed around his neck so that Lucky is the first to enter, followed by the rope, which is long enough to let him reach the middle of the stage before Pozo appears. Lucky carries a heavy bag, a folding stool, a picnic basket, and a greatcoat. Pozo, a whip. Uh, so this is me going on. Yes, I'll, I'll read your stage directions. So on from off stage, he yells that. Crack of a whip, Pozo appears. They cross the stage. Lucky passes before Vladimir and Estragon and exit. Pozo at the sight of Vladimir and Estragon stops short. The rope tautens. Pozo jerks back at it violently. Back. Noise of Lucky falling with all his baggage. Vladimir and Estragon run towards him, half wishing, half fearing to go to his assistance. Vladimir takes a step towards Lucky. Estragon holds him back by the sleeve. All right, I'm going to return to Vladimir now. Let me go. Stay where you are. Be careful, he's wicked. Vladimir and Estragon turn towards Pozo. With strangers. Is that him? 
Ooh. Estragon uh, trying to remember the name. Uh, Godot? Yeah. I present myself, Pozo. Not at all. He said Godot. Not at all. <laughs> you are not Mr. Godot, sir. I am Pozo. Pozo. Does that mean, does that name mean nothing to you? I say, does that name mean nothing to you? Vladimir and Estragon look at each other questioningly. Bozo? Bozo? Pozo. 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 Ah, Pozo. Let me see. Pozo. Is it Pozo or Bozo? Pozo. No, I'm afraid I, no, I don't seem to. I once knew a family called Gozo. The mother had the clap. We're not from these parts, sir. <laughs> you, this is wonderful. You are human beings nonetheless. Pozo puts on his glasses. As far as one can see. He takes the, off his glasses. <laughs> of the same species as myself. He bursts into enormous laugh. <laughs> of the same species as Pozo made in God's image. Well, you see. Well, who is Godot? Godot? You took me for Godot. Oh, no, sir. Not for an instant, sir. Who is he? Uh, he's a uh, he's a kind of acquaintance. No, 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 nothing of the kind. We hardly know him. True. We don't know him very well, but all the same. Personally, I wouldn't even know him if I saw him. <laughs> you took me for him. That is to say, you understand, the, the dusk, the strain, waiting... I confess, uh, I mean, I imagine, uh, for a second... Waiting? So you were waiting for him? Well, uh, you see... Here, on my land... Oh, we didn't intend any harm. We meant, well... The road is free to all. Oh, that's how we looked at it. It's a disgrace, but there you are. Nothing we can do about it. Let's say no more about it. He jerks the rope. Up, pig. There's a pause. Every time he drops, he falls asleep. Jerks the rope. Up, hog. Noise of Lucky getting up and picking up his baggage. Pozo jerks the rope. Back. Enter Lucky backwards. Stop. Lucky stops. Turn. Lucky turns to Vladimir and Estragon affably. Gentlemen, I am happy to have met you. Before their incredulous expression. Yes, yes, sincerely happy. He jerks the rope. Closer. Lucky advances. Stop. Lucky stops. Yes, the road seems long when one journeys all alone for... He consults his watch. Yes. He calculates. Yes, six hours. That's right. Six hours on end and never a soul in sight. To Lucky. Coat. Lucky puts down the bag, advances, gives the coat, goes back to his place, and takes up the bag. Hold that. Pozo holds out the whip. Lucky advances, and, both his hands being occupied, takes the whip with his mouth, then goes back to his place. Oh, good gravy. Pozo begins to put on his coat and stops. Coat. Lucky puts down the bag, basket, and stool, helps Pozo on with his coat, goes back to his place, takes up the bag, basket, and stool. Touch of autumn in the air this evening. Pozo finishes buttoning up his coat, stoops, inspects himself, and straightens up. Whip! Lucky advances, stoops, Pozo snatches the whip from his mouth, Lucky goes back to his place. <laughs> yes, gentlemen, I cannot go for long without the society of my likes. He puts on his glasses and looks at the two likes. Even when the likeness is an imperfect one, he takes off his glasses. Stool! Lucky puts down the bag and basket, advances, opens the stool, puts it down, goes back to his place, and takes up the bag and basket. Closer! Lucky puts down the bag and basket, advances, moves the stool, goes back to his place, takes up the bag and basket. Pozo sits down, places the butt of his whip against Lucky's chest, and pushes. Back! Lucky takes a step back. Further! Lucky takes another step back. Stop! Lucky stops. To Vladimir and Estegon. That is why, with your permission, I propose to dally with you a moment before I venture any further. 
basket. Lucky advances, gives the basket, goes back to his place. The fresh air stimulates the jaded appetite. He opens the basket, takes out a piece of chicken and a bottle of wine. Basket. Lucky advances, picks up the basket and goes back to his place. Further. Lucky takes a step back. He stinks. Happy days. He drinks from the bottle, puts it down and begins to eat. Silence. Vladimir and Estragon, you want to take over? Okay. Do you want to keep reading? Uh, let's see. Just goes on and on and on. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Just uh, let's just go a little bit further. Okay. T- Vladimir and Estragon, cautiously at first, then more boldly, begin to circle about Lucky, inspecting him up and down. Pozo eats his chicken voraciously, throwing away the bones after having sucked them. Lucky sags slowly until bag and basket touch the ground, then straighten up with a start and begin to sag again. Rhythm of one sleeping on his feet. What ails him? He looks tired. Why doesn't he put down his bag? How do I know? They close in on him. Careful. Say something to him. Look. What? His neck. Uh, I see nothing. Here. Estragon goes over beside Vladimir. Oh, I say. A running sore. It's the rope. It's the rubbing. It's inevitable. It's the knot. It's the chafing. They resume their inspection, dwell on the face. He's not bad looking. Estragon shrugging his shoulders, wry face. Would you say so? A trifle effeminate. Look at the slobber. It's inevitable. Look at the slabber. He's a halfwit. A cretin. Looks like a goiter. It's not certain. He's panting. It's inevitable. And his eyes. What about them? Goggling out of his head. Look like his last gasp to me. It's not certain. Ask him a question. What would be a good thing? What do we risk? Uh, Mr. Louder. Mister. Leave him in peace. Okay, well, you want to stop there? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. my word. <laughs> Graham's having the time of his life over there. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of fun. Right, isn't that um, kind of a fun play? There's, like, there's some fun to it. Uh, if you if you have the right actors to play it right, I think it can be really enjoyable. But, yeah, you, as you can see, but the thing, nothing really happens. No, but, but you can't, nothing really happens, but you can't say there's no meaning to it because you have characters who have personal, different kinds of personalities. Mm-hmm. Vladimir seems to be a little more like, ha-ha! Which is also, you're, and you're bringing that to it, mm-hmm. whereas Estragon, or his name is, uh, is a little bit more like, oh, like Eeyore. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. rough. Mm-hmm. And then Lucky is, poor guy, and Pozo is some, you know. Like very dominating. Very domineering. So, yeah. I mean, I can see how people, when they read this, said, young uh, young archetypes. Or when they read right. this, they're like, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, um, or Freudian, Freudian reading readings of this sort of thing. I get that people would port that or would go into that. Um, but it's also just like, you know, Beckett. It also feels like Beckett's backstage just like being like, look at these bunch of morons <laughs> paying <laughs> money for this. $100 a ticket comes yeah. to this. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple actors standing around. I'm killing um, it. Look at my bank account. And um, – and that, yeah, that sort of like being trolled is not a fun feeling. So yeah, but it's it's kind of fun to watch, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least or fun to listen, to listen to. Yeah, yeah. The characters are kind of a hoot, and I love the the little back and forth they have if they're if they're quick. Like I think we did that back and forth yep. thing just about right. Anyway, this has been <laughs> classical stuff. Are you wrapping up your own episode right now? I th- I thought what we should do is probably just end it, like not do a wrap up and just have it be kind of like waiting for Godot where. We talk and we talk, and then eventually it just 